Now, as I was traveling with um, Sand in the car, he was asking me what I was going to speak on this morning. I said, I'm going to speak on a very wonderful subject that I know very little about. <laughs> so, you're probably wondering, whatever am I going to speak on? And he hasn't much to say about it. But you, just, you shall discover what I mean as we proceed. Nice to be back again in Moody'sburn. Nice to see all your lovely spaces. And I do trust that God will bless us as we come around his inspired word. Now just two short portions of scripture. The first one is from John's Gospel, chapter 14. And we're just going to read a few verses from verse 1. John chapter 14. The words of our dear Lord. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then over to uh, the last book of the Bible, which is the book of the Revelation, and chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to read from verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with them, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Some time ago, I came across a very interesting article in one of the weekly newspapers. And it was entitled, His Home is the best, the biggest palace in the world. Actually, it was about the home of the Sultan of Brunei. 
That's on the northwest coast of Borneo. And here are a few interesting facts about uh, this great palace. It cost five hundred million pounds to build. Five hundred million pounds to build. It is three times the size of Buckingham Palace. And if you've seen Buckingham Palace on the TV, or perhaps you've been there, well, this is three times the size of the palace. It has 1,788 lavishly decorated rooms. The banquet room can, can, can seat 4,000 people. The throne room can seat about 2,000 people. There are 16 acres of Italian marble flooring. There are 250,000 square feet of hand-woven carpets. Listen to this. The two domes at either side of the palace are solid 22 carat gold. It was built in less than three years. Boy, what a place it must be. Think of it. All these facts I've just given you. His home is the biggest palace in the world. The Sultan of Brunei. As I read that, dear friends, the thought came to me, if that is what men can produce, then what is heaven going to be for his redeemed people? <coughs> Have you ever thought of that? What is heaven going to be like if men could produce such a palace? That is why I've read to you these two portions of scripture, one from John 14 and then one from Revelation 21. Because in John's Gospel 14, the Lord Jesus speaks of my Father's house, in which there are many mansions. And then in Revelation 21, John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And if you were to take the time to read Revelation 21 and 22 in their entirety, you would discover that John, in apocalyptic vision, he describes for us the Father's house of many mansions. That's going to be the dwelling place for every born-again believer. And if you're a born-again believer, then this is going to be your dwelling place for the countless ages of eternity.
Now let me very briefly give to you some details with regard to the Father's house, this holy city that John saw coming down from God out of heaven onto the new earth. Because in Revelation 21-22 we are in what is known as the eternal state. The dimensions of the city that John saw is 12,000 furlongs in length, in breadth and in height. 12,000 furlongs is roughly 1,500 miles. Can you imagine that? If you stand at the corner and look at the length, 1,500 miles in length, and then turn and look at the breadth, 1,500 miles in breadth, if you look upward in height, 1,500 miles in height. That's the dimensions of the Father's house, the holy city, in which is going to be your dwelling and my dwelling for all eternity. It has 12 foundations, and every foundation is comprised of a precious jewel. And each of those 12 foundations are linked to the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And we're not told exactly which jewel links to which apostle. But the city is built upon 12 foundations. It has 12 pearly gates. North, south, east and west. Think of it. Pearly gates. The thickness of the wall that encompasses the city is 144 cubits, which is roughly 200 feet, the thickness of the wall. Think of this. The street of the city is pure gold. Now, ladies, you excuse me when I say this. You may be wearing precious jewels at this moment, maybe some sort of gold, but it may not be pure gold. Sorry about that. But this street of the city is going to be pure gold. And then there's no need of artificial light. Because the Lamb is the light thereof. And when we contrast and compare the Sutton of Brunei's palace to this, then it just fades into insignificance. Now then, I can probably imagine what some of the Bible students, the eggheads in the meeting this morning, are thinking. 
You're probably thinking, Stanley, but don't you realize that the book of Revelation is full of symbols? And are we justified in taking these things literally if they are but symbols? Okay then, let me take that argument just for a few seconds. If you say to me, well, those are just symbols. The height, the length, the depth, and so forth, they're just symbols. Then I would ask you this question. If you believe they are symbols, then would you please tell me what they symbolize? What do they symbolize? What do they speak of? And if we're not careful, dear friends, when we come to eschatology or Bible prophecy, if we just try and think about everything's symbolized, well then we probably end up with nothing of an abstract nature. Nothing is literal or physical. I personally believe, this is my own personal conviction, and if you think I'm wrong, would you please come to me after the service and put me right? Now, I mean that sincerely, because I'm not infallible. If you think I'm wrong, well then, please come and correct me, and please bring your Bible, because I want to see it from the Word of God. I believe personally that this is a literal presentation of this holy city that we're going to live in for all eternity. That that's my own personal conviction. That you may say it's symbols, you may think it's analogy, but then you have to work out what they symbolize. And then what you do, come and see me after the service. But I believe that John is describing something that is literal. A literal city coming down from God out of heaven onto the new earth. Because at the present time, I don't think there'll be any place on the earth as it is that could accommodate such an awesome and such a great city. But remember, in the eternal state, it's a new earth, it's a new heaven, and it will be on this earth that this holy city will be brought now, what a tremendous prospect that is for us this morning. We sinners saved by grace are going to inhabit in our glorified bodies this wonderful city that God has prepared. Because remember, he is the builder and maker of this wonderful city. See, sometimes when we think of heaven, we think it's going to be up there in heaven. But actually, we are going to be in this city on a glorified earth. And God is going to come down and he's going to dwell with us in this city upon this new earth that he's going to create. And of course, when we think of the omnipotence God, this will present no problem whatever to God. Because if he can bring the, the universe into existence in which there was no universe, but then there's nothing too difficult or too hard for God. Now I want this morning, just for a little time, to ask you this question. 
why should we as Christians long to go to this wonderful city that lieth foursquare? Or let me ask you another question. Tell me, dear Christian, are you homesick for heaven? Can you not wait until you get there? Are you full of anticipation? Are you full of expectation? And you can't wait until you get to this place? Now, only you can answer that. Only I can answer that. And I have been praying to my Heavenly Father for this meeting this morning. And I've been saying, Heavenly Father, grant that when I finish speaking this message, that those dear people in Moody'sburn, that they shall have this great sense of being homesick, wanting to get to heaven as soon as possible, to see this wonderful city that is described for us in the book of Revelation. And I'm trusting, dear friends, that my prayer will be answered, that you'll leave this meeting homesick for heaven. Now, why should we as Christians be like that? Let me give you very briefly five reasons. Here's the first one. Our Heavenly Father is there. Though we sometimes say the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven. And in his presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And here's a wonderful thing, dear friends. And try and grasp this. That not only when we get to this wonderful city that lie a foursquare, not only are we going to see our lovely and precious Lord Jesus, who loved us and died for us on the cross, we're going to see him in his flesh. But we are going to see the Father. Oh, what a thought that is. We're going to see the Father. Oh, you say, Stan, is that right? Well, don't take my word for it. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see who? They shall see God. Has that ever happened in times past? No. Because the Bible says, no man have seen God at, at any time. In fact, you get the thought that if God was to reveal himself, it would be too awesome that, they, that we would die at the sight. But think of it. We're going to see the Father in the Father's house of many mansions. Oh, what a sight that's going to be. When in our glorified bodies we shall look upon the Father who loved us with an everlasting love and sent his beloved Son to be our Savior. That's the first reason why we should be homesick because our Heavenly Father is there. Secondly, because our Savior is there. Yes, he died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. 
on the third day he rose triumphantly from, the, from death and after 40 days he ascended back where? to heaven and that is where he is at this present time exalted at God's right hand the center of heaven's attraction he's there and surely dear Christian you want to see him you've been praying to him over the years you've been loving him over the years you've been serving him over the years surely you want to say oh Lord I want to see you I want to make a beeline to you and I want to throw my arms around you and I want to say my Jesus if ever I love thee Lord Jesus it's now he's there oh tell me dear Christian have you ever thought of that time in which for the very first time you're going to look into his eyes and he's going to look into your eyes and you're going to see him and in the words of Wesley you throw your crowns before him lost in wonder love and praise because you see the lamb has all the glory you see the Bible speaks of the, the garbage supper of the lamb and of course this has already taken place before we get into the, this great city weddings are strange sort of things when I got married many many years ago there I was, there I was looking so nice and proper I actually hired the suit. Couldn't afford to buy a new one, so I had to hire one. And I look, it's so wonderful. Might as well say it. But you know, nobody paid any attention to me. All the eyes was upon a certain person, Francis. Doesn't she look lovely? Look at the dress she's got on. Look at the hairstyle. And poor wee Stanley in the background. Nobody paid any attention to him. <laughs> what a difference it's going to be in the marriage of the Lamb. It won't be the, it won't be the bride of the church. Yes, you'll be glorious. But on that occasion, it will be the bridegroom. Because the Lamb has all the glory in Emmanuel's land. Oh, the dazzle, the splendor, the majesty, the glory of our wonderful Lord Jesus and we should be homesick for heaven because the Saviour is there thirdly because our home is there now you live in a home you live in a house but that's not your eternal dwelling if death comes you have to leave it and if the Lord comes, you're raptured and you will leave it then. We are just pilgrims and strangers passing through. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our home is in heaven. The Father's house of many mansions. That is our permanent dwelling place. Oh, are you getting homesick for your home, for your heaven? And then fourthly... We should be homesick because our names are there. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus sent the 70 out on a preaching itinerary? 
and they went here and there preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and they were doing mighty wonders and signs and they were casting out demons and they came back to the Lord rejoicing and they said Lord even the demons are subject unto us through your name they were excited and what did the Lord say don't rejoice that the demons are subject unto you but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven my name is written there is your name written there and thank God it will never be erased it's there for all eternity our names are there our heavenly fathers there our saviors there our home is there our names are there but then our inheritance is there because your inheritance according to Peter is incorruptible it's undefined and it fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you it's reserved for us and we are reserved for it incorruptible undefiled and fadeth not away our inheritance is there And dear friends, soon by God's grace, we also shall be there. Let me give to you a lovely quotation from the pen of one of my favourite authors, Dr. Sidlow Baxter. And here's what Sidlow says. Listen very carefully. Heaven will also be a place of perfect joy our present natural senses give us no clue to the pure bliss of that celestial spirit realm we shall hunger no more neither thirst any more the Lord himself shall lead us to fountains of living waters our sun of joy shall never set the roses will never fade no rithering blight or wintry blast shall ever disfigure that fair paradise sickness shall never invade death shall never divide there we shall have superior powers and faculties amplified opportunities and facilities enlarged capacities and capabilities for service, for fellowship and for the vision of the heavenly throne there we shall be reunited with our Christian loved ones a meeting without a parting there we shall see them all again beautified into perfect replicas of Christ yet retaining those distinctive traits of character and personality which made them peculiarly dear to us on earth there they and we shall mingle among the sinless immortals and all the highest we ever long to be we shall be what a prospect what a hope that is why I said at the beginning of the message 
going to speak to you on something I know little about. And I've only touched on the fringe this morning, dear friends, of the fringe. And I trust I've given you some, a little insight of the Father's house of many mansions, of this city that lieth foursquare, 1,500 miles in length and breadth and height, 12 foundations, pearly gates. And think of it, for all eternity, we're able to look at it and examine it. But let me just pause here. And let me take my dear brother Sandy for an illustration this morning. I know Sandy doesn't mind. I hope he doesn't anyway. There's Sandy in the Holy City. He's having a look around. And then he has this top on the shoulder. He feels his top on the shoulder. And he turns around and... This dear one says to Sandy, Sandy, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak to me about Jesus, about my need of salvation. And you had the privilege of leading me to the Lord. And I'm here, humanly speaking, because you took the time and the trouble to speak to me. And if I know Sandy, that will be a double heaven for Sandy. I wonder, dear Christian, will that happen to you when you're there? Will someone tip you on the shoulder and say, Excuse me, but I want to thank you for taking the time to speak to me, for praying for me. Only you could answer that question. Only I could answer the question. And oh, dear Christian, this morning... This is our hope that maketh not ashamed. Never forget, dear friends, that when the Bible speaks of hope, it's not used in the sense that we use hope today. When we use hope, we use it in a, in a, a nebulous sense. Something could happen, it may not happen. It's uncertain, it's unsure. But when the Bible speaks of hope, it speaks of something that is sure and certain. When my boys were growing up, sometimes they would ask me for things, and I would say, but I, you've got two hopes. Bob hope, and no hope. Bob hope, no hope. You see, perhaps they were too expensive. I'm just a poor preacher, and I couldn't afford it. But when the Bible speaks of hope, it's not used in a nebulous sense, an uncertain sense. It is used in a sure sense. This is going to happen, friend. We shall go sweeping through the gates of the new Jerusalem, washed and cleansed in the precious blood of Jesus, saved by his wonderful grace. What a hope. But let me bring you down to earth. Because it's never God's intention that Christians, like us this morning, should have our heads and our intellect full of facts and figures about Bible prophecy and eschatology and all these sort of things. Oh no, friends. It must affect our lives. Here's what John says. And remember when John wrote these words, he's in his 90s, he's an old man. And he says in 1 John chapter 3, he says, Behold, 
what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is oh there's our hope we shall see him as he is ah but what does the next verse say and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure do you see the effect not just up in the clouds but you keep your feet on the ground we're still in this world we're just passing through and I do trust dear Christian friends that my prayer will be answered that you'll leave this meeting not because of what I've been trying to preach to you but oh that you'll have this homesickness for heaven that you can't wait to get there and by God's grace you'll bring as many as possible with you to the glory land God bless you thank you for listening so carefully